Let's go. Look, people, we have looked into the plans, we have tried to playtest the lessons, and now we want to talk to somebody who actually brought lessons into school. And that's Alex, our expert today. We're gonna talk about does it make sense to eat games in education overall? Does anybody need that? And how to do it, do it overall? Alex, this is you. We will highlight you multiple times today, ask you the most complex questions we can ever figure out. But first, can you talk just a bit the best things about yourself? Yeah, just Who are you and facts. why do we all want to hear from you? Hi, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Um, that, that, is, that is the excellent question here is why, why am I talking to you all? Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe it's because of uh, this uh, unique experience that I've had in the last decade, which uh, I, I feel very privileged for having had, uh, which is to be able to uh, create a product, not by myself. There were lots of people involved in the process, but I was one of the two originators of this product in this company called uh, uh, Freckle Education. Originally, it was called Front Row Education, then rebranded to Freckle. And uh, what we did, uh, and I guess what makes me um, extra qualified for this episode is that we worked directly with uh, students and teachers and administrators in schools and districts around the United States and beyond to bring a more uh, gamified and personalized um, educational experience in math and literacy to public schools uh, or schools all over um, America and all over the world. That's impressive. But I will ask you a pre pre pretty simple question, yes. but like pretty complicated to answer. Can you ask yourself answer? a simple question? Who are you and what are you doing ah, in the stream? Yes, sorry, I forgot to talk about this. Uh, I'm Lara, just in case. I don't know how to introduce myself here on the streams. You're the boss, you're actually making the stream possible. Like, you're editor, you're a producer, and I'm currently operating the buttons. And we too are YouTubers, like, Trying to make the same fun for you. And Rita, you worked at Luden and you represent the company. Yes, I'm a business development Ooh. manager at Luden, also former YC founder. Uh, right now on the quest, I'm bringing Learning Factory EDU to as many American schools as possible. So I'm looking for you teachers to, you know, talk to me. And that's another angle for today's stream. So where do we go from there? Can I, I just like want to start then. I will ask the question how I said, pretty simple, but very complicated to answer. Maybe not very complicated, but anyway, how did you make teachers and students use your program in schools? That's a very complicated that? question. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. How, 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 how long do we have? Uh, uh, but try to make it short. <laughs> yes. One-liner. One-liner. <laughs> I will compress. All, all the complicated things in life can be summarized in one line, one bumper sticker. Uh, but in our case, I think this is the challenge for every founder and every creator of a new product. You have to locate people who are going to be, who are going to feel the problem enough to give you that initial slice of their time when nobody else would. As in, they're feeling a pain, and even your half-broken, very early-stage product is good enough to address at least some of that pain. And in our particular case, this is this is a classic uh, freckle story that, uh, for anyone who has ever 
uh, heard me or my co-founder uh, Siddharth talk about it. Um, we've told it a thousand times, but essentially we went through our networks and we were able to find two teachers who were on in the middle of the country and on the other side of the country who would allow us into their classroom. We were based in San Francisco. They, this, we had one teacher in Chicago and one teacher in uh, Baltimore on the other side of the country. So we got on a plane. We, um, you know, we're building the, the mobile app at night. And then in the morning, they let us into the classroom. We got to see them use it for about 30 minutes that day, maybe 45 minutes that day. You know, we cried a little because, as you can imagine, that super early version does not work nearly as, as you imagine. You go back home, you fix it, fix it, fix it. You beg the teacher to let you in the next day. They let you in the next day. They're like, okay, fine. And you doodle over again. And then, um, yeah, and you, that's, that, that is the start. But I would say personal connections and uh, going through whatever networks you might find to get that early adopter is probably the best way for most people. Okay, I have uh, a question also. So for those uh, people as I am who doesn't really understand what exactly this freckle does. So how I understood it's like some lessons, math and literature, how you said, right? And it got shapes to the student, right? Am I right? Or can you t t tell a bit like uh, in normal language so other people understand it also? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I should have I should have uh, set the context up front. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an adaptive um, learning math and literacy practice app where essentially the way it works is um, a, st a teacher and a group of students in the classroom each have a device. So the student will have an iPad or a Chromebook. The, the Chromebooks tend to be the most popular devices in the US, or they used to be, I'm not sure if that changed recently. And they, the students all take a diagnostic in some area of math or in literally in all of math. And the program tries to figure out, okay, what do these students know and don't know? And then uh, after that initial diagnostic, the, the application just gives them a, an almost an endless stream of practice material that is appropriate to their level based on what it understood about the student. That's the personalization aspect of it. And excuse me. And then it, um, and then it just fine tunes its understanding. It kind of build, builds a model of every student and fine tunes an understanding of what the student knows and, and doesn't know and how quickly the student is progressing as the student answers those questions. And the teacher gets all the reports and the diagnostics and all of the information about the classrooms. As All right. That so, is happening in real time. so there, there are like some programs inside of this app, right? Like they're already there. So, did you That's make right. them? Did Did you work with teachers who helped you to build this program, or how the process? To qualify for K twelve. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a really good question. My co-founder and I, we did not come from a teaching background, which meant that we were. Um, behind, I guess, behind the curve where we were a little under-equipped when we started. We knew that we understood spaced repetition. We understood, um, you know, how to, how to make the actual, how to make the application, but we weren't sure what the best pedagogy was going to be for, uh, in our case, specifically third grade students, since uh, we had never third, uh, taught third grade students ourselves. So our, actually our very uh, first hire was a teacher from uh, this program called Teach for America uh, who 
really helped us understand how the classroom works, what, uh, what works best for kids. And he helped us both create the content, the material, the, ped uh, the pedagogy that went into the program, and also make sure that, um, that it was, uh, you know, the best pedagogy was, it was pedagogically sound when, when given to kids. And of course, the other thing that's amazing about working with teachers is that this is um, maybe it's a little side note, but teachers are extremely vocal about when things work or, or don't work for them. So if you screw anything up, if you miss a comma, if you miss a period, if you misspell something, you will get an email from some teacher somewhere who will tell you, you are very, very bad and you screwed up and you need to fix this right now because my kids are looking at this broken thing and you need to fix it, which is amazing, right? It's exactly what you uh -huh. would want as a product designer. That's, so and we got also, a lot of that. Also a question, because like, uh, as far as I know, like guys from Ladenio, they had like, not problems, but you know, some misunderstanding with teachers, because when they were be making game and like teachers are like, oh, let's add this and that. And like developers are like, no, we cannot do like that. Did you have the same experience with the teachers? Because you're as a developers and teachers, you're kind of from different worlds. So yeah, it's, um, there's this, uh, Understanding that when designing a product, uh, your customers will absolutely have opinions about it, but they're not professional product uh, designers. They're, they're experts at being your target user, right? They're experts at being uh, the customer. They're not experts at building products. And so your job as a designer is to absorb all of this feedback that you're getting and try to understand what are, what are they truly looking for? What are they truly missing? Where, what is the pain point that is making them share the sort of feedback that you're getting from them? And then redesign and update the product based on that, on your interpretation of that feedback. But, uh, of which you'll have a lot, hopefully, that's a good thing. But you also need to be cautious not to take it literally because they don't have the big picture of how, to, how the product is built, the strategy, the roadmap, all of that stuff, but you do. And then I'm looking at Freckle website and your product is both for classrooms and families. That's one part and schools and districts. That's another part. So you have mm -hmm. multiple dimensions of users with their own needs and sales and adoption, yep. adoption processes. So how do you sell to all of them and how do you tackle your educational product to, to everybody across different like this slice? Yeah, it's a, I would say it's a two-part answer where one is it's difficult to build a product that has that many types of users involved in it. As in, at some point, we even had a parent product, and I'm not sure if that's something that might happen in the future again. But when you're trying to make sure that parents, students, teachers, principals, and district uh, staff are all happy all at the same time, and are all willing to use your product and are all willing to advocate for purchasing your product, it is very difficult. It is much, um, I, I read this years ago, but it, is, it seems like it's a really smart move to reduce the, the number of types of people you're trying to please as much as possible, because otherwise you just have this combinatorial explosion of all the ways in which someone might not be satisfied by the experience they're getting. So in our case, uh, we, we primarily work, um, so it, it's our adopters. It's a little bit like Slack or almost like a, maybe a discord 
where our, our early adopters, it's a freemium product. You can download it and use it on your own without uh, having to ask for anybody's permission are teachers and students. So the teachers will download the product. They're the gatekeepers to the classroom. They will ask their students to get the app on their, uh, on their iPads, or usually they'll just go to our website through uh, Freckle, the teacher uh, through, sorry, the browser. The teachers will create the accounts for the students. They'll load the roster, and then they'll ask them at one point, then if, whenever they sign up, to do a quick 30-minute diagnostic or a 20-minute diagnostic. And from that point on, they're ready to start using Freckle. They can start using us right away. So as long as the student is happy there and they've had a reasonably engaging and positive experience with the app and the teacher is getting the results that they're looking for, which is frequently to give students the work that they want to do, uh, that they want them to do and get reports and understanding of how well the students are doing, then those both classes of users are happy. And then the next stage is after they've been using it for a while and they're happy with the, with the product and now the product is a little stickier, now you have a sales team uh, or a um, business development team, whatever you want to call them, who are reaching out to their school or their districts and are having conversations around, hey, should we make this official? Because you guys are on a free tier, but there's more and your teachers are bumping into all the limitations of the free product. Um, we always had this philosophy where we want the product to be uh, the free product to be useful by itself, but at the same time, uh, right? We, you know, half the company were were former teachers. Everybody had a, had a really strong empathy with the user uh, because they were one at one point. But at the same time, we have to build a company. We have to pay salaries at the end of the day, so it's not uh, a free product, which means that at some point we have to monetize it and and build a. Um, paid relationship with a school or the, the district. That's, uh, I will jump in quickly. <laughs> That's my last question for, uh, I'm, you've been talking about happiness of uh, teachers, students, and so on and so on. And I'm wondering, does it really like, they need games in the schools? How do you think like games and educations, what teachers think about this, what students think about this, what parents think about this? You said that like, it's very hard to make uh, everyone happy, but what they think in general, maybe. Yeah, I think that's the, that's a really big question in education technology at this point. And I don't know if there is a conclusive answer as of right now. I think. I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. And the way we looked at it is there, there's a range of experiences that a student at, of um, apps, app experiences that a student can have in the classroom or at home nowadays, which are range from incredibly stuffy workbooks, just doing things on pen and paper, uh, which for, I think for a kid born after, you know, 2007, when the iPhone has been released, that just seems feels very dull, uh, and I think it's just nothing like the experiences that they might be having at home, where it's Fortnite, it's TV, it's just it's a completely different level of engagement than just staring at a piece of paper and completing math questions. On the other hand, there's the extreme version of that, which is let's just give this kid a game. But then the question is, does that actually has that much pedagogical value to the student? And uh, going back to the, the relationship with the teacher, 
we've experimented on both sides. Teachers want the the um, the strict, more pedagogical uh, experience most of the time. I would say kids want the opposite. They want the game, and so somehow you need to make sure that the teacher, as the gatekeeper, is satisfied with your product while the te- while the student is still engaged and retained at the same time. So for us, it was about meeting somewhere in the middle. So the teacher would look at the product and they say, you know what, I can see how this is actually teaching my kid or teaching my students or is allowing them to practice the skills that I want them to practice. But I can also see that the student isn't distracted, the student isn't bored. Uh, There's enough gamification in this product that allows the student to um, just stay connected to the product and want to keep doing more. Uh, There's this one thing that I always said, which is uh, games like Fortnite, uh, I don't know, Team Fortress back in the day, they would uh, make you, they would sort of hook you into the game so that eventually you spent money to buy skins or to buy um, various in-app upgrades, you buy extra coins. But for us, we want to get students addicted to the game so that they do more math and more literacy. We want them to get addicted so they practice more and they get more of a pedagogical experience out of it. But I have actually also a question to Alex. That's my turn now. Yes. So <laughs> I think we still have a lot of parents and teachers who are thinking, who, who believe that games are very destructive. They cannot be used, you know, in teaching process. So my question to you would be, what games actually taught you? Can you give us please examples of good things? So I think that one is a, is a really interesting topic. and. I'm not sure I will uh I can answer that directly. As in there there is research out there and I think the research is all over the place at this point and and somewhat inconclusive that um about whether transfer learning um which is this idea that you practice a skill in one context and then like a game and then you can transfer the skill that you built there in a different context. I think the jury on whether that actually works or not is still out. And there's some research that claims that you don't, you can't transfer uh, things that as well as you hope you would in between those two contexts. I think the the answer is unclear. Uh, and um, so for for me, a game that can get really close to the situation that you're trying to train people for that can be very effective, but a game that is very unrelated and then where you're hoping that by practicing that particular game and then going back to a different scenario and those skills will carry over, that I think is, is still an interesting uh, hypothesis to, to prove or disprove. You played Learning Factor, right? From my best knowledge, I did. did. I did. What do you think about Learning Factor? How, how, how does playing Learning you? Factory, how is it better or worse than playing an FPS or a StarCraft starter? I, I'm, Ooh, a huge, uh, uh, I'm a huge... Tricky I'm a huge Factory Games nerd, so I've played anything from Dwarf Fortress to uh, Factorio, Satisfactory, uh, Oxygen Not Included, uh, Dyson Sphere, so it's, sort of, it's uh, definitely one of those... Uh, what I call it is, it feels like you're working even after work. Things I really liked about Learning Factory is I like the the visual uh, the visual direction, um, the visual design direction is just fantastic. I love the the cat theme. I think is is unique. I haven't seen anything quite like that out there. I love it. The 
the person doing the the art seems to have a very unique style that is uh, hard to miss. And I think from a perspective of building a brand, that would be fantastic. Um, in terms of actual gameplay, I haven't gotten too far. It feels like all the, all the building blocks are coming together. It still feels like there's um, the game is not quite at the final polish stage, as would be sensible for a game that that's still in a very heavily under development. So uh, whatever you know, feedback or thoughts I might have, I think it might be just still too early for that because all of those things are still coming down the line. It is. When I wanted to actually add regarding like the early stage, yes, the game is still in self-launch and it will be in self-launch for the next year. So we'll be adding features, cutting features. And also if you have feedback, not only you, Alex, but I'm talking to the audience as well, please send it to us. We're happy to hear it and fix the game. And there is also an educational version of the game that is free on the website right now and there is a teacher's guide lesson plans it's available for free just download launch and there's five levels out there i tried them if you look into our previous videos you will see they work we even tried to play test them but right i think it's time to end the stream so who wants to Provide Lera's favorite was have we learned somewhere? Oh, please, no. We learned a lot. <laughs> but maybe Rita has something. Rita, did you enjoy the stream? What was... I did. I did. I mean, like, for me, Alex's story is amazing. It's it's about grit, first of all, which all startup founders should have. Actually, not all startup founders, because eventually, like, even one person on a, on a smaller scale is... Uh, it's a startup itself. Like, you know, you always have to market yourself to be successful in, you know, in, in your career, in private life. Among, even among your friends, you have to market yourself. And greed is important. Uh, you have to, you know, like do a lot, you know, until, until you reach your goals. So I think uh, it's, it's, it's also something we can learn from Alex. We can learn it also from games. Where, Rita, we started know. talking about games and we're ending up the stream talking about greed. I'm not sure. I, I guess we yes, should just stop at this point. Yes, Rita. Yes, Rita. Let's finish here. That's it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much uh, for the show. We enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you thank very you much, all. Alex, for coming. Thanks for having me.